May the words of my mouth, O oh Lord, the feeble words, and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you and to bring glory to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're starting off with a pop quiz. Well, what three things remain in the Bible? What three things remain? Faith and hope. Where do we read that? Boy, this is a Bible church. <laughs> yes, faith, hope, and love. That actually, that trio occurs several times in the New Testament. Sometimes we tend to think about these a bit passively, you know. Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, well, I think I'm going to heaven. Sure, yeah, whatever. And I, of course, I love people, especially when they're not there. <laughs> I have a warm, glowing feeling about people if they're not there. <laughs> but the New Testament talks about these things actively. Yes. Faith without works, says the New Testament, dead. Oh, I didn't book in my notes, but okay. Love leads to action. For instance, in First Thessalonians, Paul opens with prayers for them. He prays for them. He shares memories of them. Memories of what? Of their work produced by faith, their labor produced by love, their endurance inspired by their hope. So their faith, hope, and love are pretty active, huh? Is that how we remember a congregation when we're praying for a group, when we're thinking about them? Do we think, oh, I visited that church, I felt very comfortable, I love the singing, I like singing. But do we remember their works of faith, and their labors of love, the fruit of the Spirit in them? That's the important thing, isn't it? Because people have different views on music. People have different views on styles. But the Holy Spirit works in different ways. So St. Paul notices the endurance inspired by hope. So if you've got hope, you can sit through tough times. And we know that tough times come. They come from everybody. Sometimes they come sooner, sometimes they come later. What did, what did hope mean? We know about love, we know about faith. What did hope mean in the New Testament? It didn't mean much in the ancient world. I read in the commentary that hope was not a virtue. Things like manliness, strength, courage, generosity cleverness, wealth, those are important things. Ooh, today, those are important too. Yes, hope. We do use the word hope. Sometimes when we say hope, it has an element of doubt in it. You think she'll make it through? Well, I sure hope so. But then sometimes hope is really meaningful for people, I know. Hope can get people through Big sickness. Hope can get you through final exams. Hope can get you through a lot. But what did the New Testament think of? I'd like to explore that with you. 
as we go into the new year, as people said earlier, and you shared with expectation of more conflict, perhaps uncertainty about family or personal health, or perhaps chronic won't go away issues that you face. Let's look at hope. And I'd like to first to uh, forgive me, it's from teaching. <laughs> I can't help using PowerPoints. And um, I want to, I'm a visual learner myself. I want to explore some of the uses of hope, the word in the New Testament. Then I want to take a look at that passage that Luke read for us. And then I want to explore how we can increase our hope. I've looked up many of the passages that, um, where hope is used. Mostly they're in the letters, you know, mostly in the letters. You don't find the word much in the Gospels. Interesting. But hope is certainly linked, isn't it, with faith, which is in things unseen. In the Gospels, we have Jesus there, seen. He was there in the flesh. I'm not a theologian, it's just a layman's thought, but maybe that's why hope comes in the epistles more often. <laughs> There's a richness and possibly a great sermon topic behind every use of the word hope in the New Testament. But to simplify things, maybe we could look at just two aspects of what I found when I was exploring hope. It looked big print before, can you see that? Trusting in God and in Jesus Christ for salvation, in the broad sense of that word, salvation. Hope in the Lord for salvation. Number two, there's always an expectant or often trust for a future with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope as expectant trust for the future. In either case, whenever you see hope, nearly always in the New Testament, it comes with an incentive. It comes with an admonition. Let's take a look. I've picked out three verses that relate to hope in the Lord for salvation. More than, more than looking for the future, they're together. First Thessalonians and First Peter and First Timothy. Yeah. First, <coughs> First Thessalonians says, but since we belong to the day. Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a, as a helmet. So the hope is a helmet and the faith and love are a breastplate to protect you. A Kevlar vest in today's world, right? The Apostle Paul uses that image of putting on armor to describe the conscious desire to live out our faith and love and to renew our trust in Christ for the salvation brings us fellowship with the Lord. He reminds his readers that although the day of the Lord will bring destruction, God appointed us to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's salvation that's important. And verse 10, that's a little bit later on, says, he died for us so that whether we live, or whether we are awake or asleep, which means in that context means whether we're awake or dead, we may live together with him. I'm sorry, that is small print, isn't it? It looks so big. Next time. But there's always a specific call to action. 
And the incentive here is to encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another and build each other up. I know there's quite a bit of that going on at CBC already. I see it. I learn from it. I love seeing it. But I pray that in 2024, we will get even better at knowing how and when to encourage each other in walking with the Lord. Yeah? And that's related to hope of our salvation. Our next verse is from the Apostle Peter's first letter. Through him, through Christ, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. And Peter says, you've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. I think he's talking about salvation there. You've been born again. That's your hope. Yeah. And the incentive, Peter says, love one another deeply from the heart. I don't know which of those Greek words for love. Does anyone know which one they are? It's the, it's the um, brotherly love, there's the uh, romantic love, and there's the, the love that flows in actions, not necessarily with emotions. And Peter puts them together and says, love each other deeply from the heart. Wow. Well, that's a motive for building each other up, isn't it? If you really love someone. And my third verse on salvation is different. It comes from Timothy, and it's a little different. It says, the rich should not put their hope in wealth, but put their hope in God, who provides everything we need for our enjoyment. Well, I always read the passages about wealth with a bit of trepidation, since we in the US are so wealthy compared to most people in this world, don't we? Most of us are, anyway. Most of us. And Jesus said how hard it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. James says rough things about wealthy people too. And here Paul says to Timothy, you, you tell them what? Tell them to be rich in good deeds and to be willing to be generous and to share. We need to be generous. I need to learn to be generous. With my time, with my money, in giving for the needy, as we recognize that the time we have and the money we have comes from God, right? It all comes from God. So when the New Testament uses that word hope, it doesn't always mean looking for the future. It often refers to trusting God here and now for our salvation, for our wholeness, for our walk with God. And it comes with a call to action to love each other, to encourage each other, to be generous, okay? But yes, hope in the Bible does come also as an expectancy for the future, yeah? Here are three verses I picked out. In the first, first John, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Does that ring a bell? Did we sing that this morning? Yes, we did. We shall be like him. See him as he truly is, beyond the baby in the manger, yeah? beyond the teacher, but the risen Lord and the judge of the world. Do you hope for this, to see Jesus as he really is? Do you hope to be like him? 
What a stunning thought. And what's the incentive here for John? All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. In other words, the incentive is for holy living. Yeah? And Paul uses hope in a future sense when he's counseling Titus. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. That sounds future, doesn't it? Who gave himself to purify himself a people. The hope of seeing Jesus as he really is. Salvation parts there also. Again, the hope is an incentive for godly living. Say no to ungodliness, but live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. When I was a young person and a young Christian, I used to read this passage, and I would have images of old men, gray whiskers, black waistcoats, starched white collars, slow-moving, slow-talking, very solemn. Oh, dear. <laughs> but even then, when I was young, I got the message. God wants us to be holy. My generation was stuck in this uh, phrase. People said, oh, Christians want to be holier than thou. And no, we didn't want to be holier than thou. So we stopped thinking about being holy. We stopped thinking that God wants us to be different. God wants us to be different. Not above different and culturally culturally evangelical christians who profess jesus christ end up not very different in many ways do they now god calls us to holy living <laughs> hope in the future is frequently as we said before coupled with perseverance we persevere because we have hope in a future with the lord well, sometimes it also works the other way. Yep. Romans 15.4 says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Cool, huh? Many other hope quotes in the epistles besides these are looking forward to the time of Christ's second coming. <clears throat> and the visions in Revelation were given to encourage the church to persevere in spite of real and severe persecution, death sometimes. Just as Dick preached many years ago on some of on Hebrews, remember? And the book of Hebrews was to encourage people in persecution. Revelation, the same thing. Well, I love the vision in chapter 21. I thought, now we'd take a look at hope fulfilled. What are we looking forward to? Yeah. <clears throat> First John sees a new heaven and a new earth. There will be absolutely radical changes. A new heaven and, did you see that? A new earth. People talk about heaven, but John sees a new earth as well as a new heaven. The holy city, he sees, comes down from the sky. It's not in the sky. I don't know all the details, but we do know there will be a new earth. Perhaps that's why our classic creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the more detailed Nicene Creed, they talk of the resurrection of the body. Remember? 
just as Jesus rose again with a body <coughs> the same but different where our hope is we will have bodies on a new earth praise God <coughs> we will be in a city people have noted how God's work started in the garden on earth and seems to finish with a big city and it's quite a big city <laughs> The dimensions are given later in the chapter, and if we understand these Greek units of measurement right, the width of the city is, is more than the length of the British Isles times two. So there's plenty of room, plenty of room. And there's going to be park and water in this city. So that reminds us that God is equally at home in a garden. If you're a gardener, you think that's where God is. God is equally at home with you in the garden in the stillness of the beauty of the world and in the hustle and bustle of the city. And we thought of that last Wednesday, at least I did, because we were in the city of Manhattan and Gillian wanted to see the lights again. So we walked down Fifth Avenue and we got to the Rockefeller Center at 48th, 49th, and we waited to see the Saks Fifth Avenue display and it was wonderful and went on for a long time with flashing lights. So I wanted to get close to the tree in the Rockefeller Center. And there were people. There were oh, many people. There were so many people. You weren't just shuffling. You were stationary. And then the light would change and the mass of people would begin to inch forward. It took about five or ten minutes to walk one block. And I thought, God knows the hair, every hair on the head of every one of those people, all of those people. And to me, they were, if I'm not careful, they're people that are in the way. <laughs> but God, God is in the city. Remember that next time you're in a traffic jam. Yeah. Think of God's love for everybody. I'd like to look at verse 3 in our reading. God himself will be his, with his people. <clears throat> we look forward to this time of sight, filling out our faith, our yearnings to pray with more faith, more devotion, more awe. Those are our yearnings. Maybe you're like me. I'm wool gathering, but I intend to be praying sometimes. Our yearnings to know how to pray, how to delight ourselves in the Lord, they'll come. They will happen. They will come. What an encouragement. He'll be present with us now. God himself will be with his people. With faith now, but it will be by sight. And verse 4, I love verse 4. <coughs> I hang on verse 4. No more death, no more mourning. or crying, or pain in this new order of things. What an encouragement for those facing death. What an encouragement for those dealing with loss, for those dealing with injustice, for those dealing with chronic pain. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because God himself will be with his people. No street lighting in that city, it says. The glory of God gives it light. 
I hang on that verse. I don't know if you do, but I hang on that verse that somehow there will be no more crying or mourning. And I hang on to it, and it takes faith to hang on to it because of the lake of fire. I wondered whether to go as far as verse 8. I wanted to stop at verse 7. But verse 8 talks about the lake of fire. How can there be no mourning or crying when there is a divide? God says there will be a divide, a judgment. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. Are you a good person? That's very nice, but you have to be written in the name in the Lamb's book of life. You have to have believed in Jesus. Because all of us can identify with some of the things in verse 8. And uh, without Jesus, we are lost. Without Jesus, we wouldn't want to be in heaven. We wouldn't even want to be there. Is this just John? No, it's Jesus. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else. And this isn't a sermon about hell. But it is a sermon reminding us that there is a divide. And reminding us that we need to trust in Jesus to be with him. He had assumed that we don't want to be otherwise. And somehow, though we mourn loved ones who died without knowing Christ in this life, and we pray for our loved ones that they may know Jesus, just as Elfie was talking about her sister in this life. But somehow, and I leave it to God, I have to trust God, He'll, he knows how to do that. I'm not going to be mourning in heaven. I'm not going to be crying in heaven. And if it seems harsh, it isn't harsh, because right before we have the verse that says, let anyone who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It's not as if God wants to keep anyone out. And the revelation ends with those verses that we had earlier in the service. Come, come Lord Jesus, but the Spirit says come. The Spirit says to you and me, come. God wants us to come. Yeah. Well, it's one thing to list scripture verses, and I know I've listed quite a few, forgive me. There's another to actually have that hope, to have a life that's characterized by hope. What does hope mean to you and me today? How can we strengthen the hope that we do have? How can hope be as important to me, as important to you, as it was in the New Testament? And I've got four things. I hope they're helpful to you. They're helpful to me. Read and ponder the Bible message when it's words that speak of hope. We should know the Bible. I know it's not enough. I know there's lots of people who quote the Bible inside out who don't know the Lord, who don't follow the Lord. But it's something we should do. I'm struck with how much Jesus used the Bible. How much Jesus quoted from the parts of the Bible they didn't think of when he was saying his revolutionary message. And fishermen, oh, they wouldn't know the Bible. They were too busy fishing all night. 
Peter and John wrote letters, and they're full of scripture, right? They're full of their scriptures. How much more? Know the Bible. Read and reread. How the apostle, I love the epistles, how the apostle Paul hungered over his people that he had led to Christ. How fervently he prayed for them. As an elder, that's been such a blessing to me. I mean, a rebuke to me. It's been really helpful. And I look at what Paul prayed for them because that teaches me what I should be praying for you guys and for God's church. You know? Especially look at what God thanks, what he praises, praises God and thanks God for in the people. <clears throat> I pray that that active hope that you read will lead you to deeper commitment and deeper desire to be led into acts of love and service both in this fellowship and out to the world, yeah? And these are very elementary, but I hope focus more and more on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is well aware of our difficulties, of the job situation, of the financial situation, of the repairs in our house that need doing. We don't have time, money, or anything to do them is well aware of aging relatives that need looking after, of children that demand so much. But our hope works if we focus on Jesus Christ. To teach his people he came when they had gone astray. To teach them to turn back to God. And if you read, and you do read, he doesn't just say it to the nice people. He goes to people who've done really bad things, people who really were in dark days, and he pointed them to God, and they turned to him, they listened to him, you listened to him too. It gives life a whole new meaning, doesn't it? A whole new purpose. Our future is to be with him, <clears throat> so make sure you're following him and enjoying learning from him, and as they say, the things of earth will not be quite so important. That's been a blessing to me. I hope it is to you in 2024. And thirdly, persevere. Keep going. Keep going. Keep trusting. <clears throat> persevere in looking to please God in what you do and how you pray. In how your love has feet. How your love has hands. Persevere even when you feel discouraged. Even when someone criticized you and you didn't think it was quite fair, even when God seems far away, even when you're suffering, persevere even when you don't feel like it. Because Paul says perseverance brings hope. It's sort of a loop. We persevere because we have hope, but perseverance brings hope. In Romans 5 he says, we know suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Well, I haven't figured out about the character bit in there, but I know that perseverance helps us hope more. If we give up going to church, if we say, you know, not right now. Jesus is not going to seem as real. That hope isn't going to seem as real. Persevere. And finally, <clears throat> remember but God says, 
I am making everything new. So sing a new song every day. Because we live in time and space. There's a past that we can't live again. Words we said, things we did, things we didn't do. The past is gone. And today, it's almost half over, and then it'll be past. God is outside of time. If God says, I'm making all things new, he's forever making things new. It's not just, oh, Peter turning over a new leaf. It's God making all things new. And that's really meaningful to me, and I hope it's a blessing for you. <clears throat> How can that help me get a stronger hope? We can start our life every day new in a real sense. You may have confessed your need for a savior. You may have turned to God years ago. You may be able to point to the day, the date, maybe the time when you became a Christian. But every day we must come like the publican in Jesus' parable. We come to Jesus. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And we know he forgives us. We know he forgives us. And we sing a new song. We go home like the man in the story, blessed and forgiven. Yes. We don't want to be, and it's easy to become like the other gentleman in the story, the Pharisee. And he wasn't cowering. He was standing up because he was a good guy. And God knew he was a good guy. Now, thank you, Lord, and I'm not like these other people. And Jesus said, that guy left the same way he came. Not blessed. Sing a new song every day. <laughs>